Hello and welcome to the Tech Lunch Podcast, where we encourage our listeners to learn something new about tech every week. This can range from learning about new and exciting applications to the advancements in coding and technology. If you are always learning, you will always be a step above the rest. Take the time during lunch or during a break to listen and learn, kind of like a lunch and learn, but for the years. This podcast will open the listeners' ears to new and exciting technologies they may have not been purviewed to in the past. These topics will range from manufacturing technologies to data collection technologies and everything in between. Hello, I'm Nick. Hello, I'm Ed. And, you know, this week, uh, we don't, you know, have John with us. He was out looking at houses. So, you know, hopefully, you know, he gets into the uh, every, every, every sounds 100 bucks uh, club. You know, where one creek can be $200, another one could be 100 bucks, you know, and so forth and so on. You know, it's one of those things where you don't want to drip the water on your head. Um, but, you know, I digress. But, you know, it's kind of funny that, you know, we all come from a industrial, you know, kind of background-ish, I guess you could say. You know, I come from the IT side of the house. You come from industrial controls. Mm-hmm. You know, and we, we've kind of talked about it before, like SCADA. And stuff like that. We've kind of touched on that. We've touched on some of our preventative maintenance stuff using MQTT, or you know now, you know now you have that Open AI stuff. You know you got Open AI that can do your your um uh, all of your preventative maintenance. But the one thing we haven't really talked about is the secondary side of the SCADA, or better known as an MES system. The manufacturing execution system, mm-hmm. you know, that's pretty much entire role in life is to, well, control production, you know, at a, at a manufacturing facility, logistics facility, or anything like that. Because the thing is, you have order data that comes in, then order data that leaves as soon as the order is completed, you know, but and you start production somewhere in between that time gap. So, you know, when we're talking MES systems, you know, what are you thinking? So from... Uh say from an industrial control side or from an OT side, basically what we're concerned with is it's is, is basically the uh, effectiveness, effectiveness of the operations on the shop floor. So from raw goods to the shop floor, process through the equipment on the shop floor, mm-hmm. and then move through each station till it uh, makes a final product. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but what you're doing in that whole time is gathering data, accurate right. data. That accurate data is going back to your supply chain to say, yeah, we did not have any disruptions. Yeah, we had minimum defects with raw goods coming in. Um, The other things that we look at is we had minimum defects in the process of making the goods. Kind of like a just-in-time, just-in-sequence. Yeah, Yeah. but but not just just just-in-time and just-in-sequence. It's also saying that all of my data through that supply chain is as efficient as I can get it at this moment. Yeah, first time completion, first time quality. Yes, and you know, to me, you know, I I work in the in, in the you know the IT field that that handles MES systems on most of mostly an everyday basis. Um, if I don't, then it's probably a weekend. Um, but the thing is, is you know, MES system MES systems are great. You know, we we start with. You know, order data, logistics data, and all that incoming into the process to let us know what we're building for that day. You know, it starts our sequence off. 
you know, starts our sequence off with the beginning of the line. It tells us what raw goods we're going to turn into a finished product at the end of the line. And, you know, from there, everything deals with either sequencing or a picking issue, a picking, you know, process. That I'm pulling my parts out of stocks and ranges to push those to the, to the start of the line for them to begin building something. And, you know, if that's missing, we, we you know, the, the system records a missing part fault. You know, oh, I don't have this. Give me a minute. Let me, let me go ahead and put an order in for this. Or it deals with a system that as that, you know, raw good is turning in, turned into that finished product. We're alerting suppliers as it goes down the line for those products to show up at just in time, just in sequence portions down the line while measuring that first time quality, first time completion process. And, but the thing is, is we all, the system also tracks where it's been. So you can always go back and look, and this is, you know, where, you know, you have some experience in, is if we do have a, you know, an FTC or FTQ issue, you know, and I could turn that back into a station, then I can go back and I can take that stuff and I can hand that over to my OT guys, to my maintenance techs. And say, guys, can you go take a look at the station for me? I'm getting a lot of scratches or, you know, a lot of dents or a lot of warping, you know, if you're doing plastic injection molding or anything like that, you know, on those parts, mm -hmm. you know, not getting things done correctly. You know, it's not just human rated problems right. causing you headaches. And, and so I, I like to look at it this way. I'm a manufacturer and say I've made bring <clears throat> wheelbarrows for 50 years. Yeah. Then I was fortunate enough to get a contract to make red um, wagons. Well, of course, wheelbarrows and wagons are different. Yeah. But it's still raw goods. Right, exactly. So how does my process handle different models coming down the line? Um, so the tooling is made to uh, accommodate a range of uh, tolerance. Yeah, range it's, of it's, it's got a range of tolerance that it can, you know, you know, I got from this, from here to there, from minimum to max. Right. And that means that, say, I can do, like, say, a three-ton or a five-ton on the same line. Right. So that's where, when I talk about, you know, the wheelbarrow and the wagon, you have to be able to um, not only go to the station and, and observe and, um, determine what's going on, but you also want to know: um, Do I run this more efficient? Do I run wheelbarrows more efficiently than I run wagons? Uh, wagons? Because I've had a lot more time and I've learned a lot more stuff mm -hmm. from data points. I got a lot more data points from the wheelbarrow, yeah. and not the wagon. Right, makes sense. So those are things also that the MES system can be utilized for because it's not just the plant. The MES system is maybe somebody orders 10 um, wheelbarrows that day and 50 wagons. Well, of course, we're going to run 50 wagons first. Mm -hmm. You know, even though we could probably knock out the 10 wheelbarrows, you know, maybe quicker. But that's, yeah, that's not how the system works. It's based off orders. Right. If I ordered 50 first, I'm doing the 50 first orders. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the beauties about having an MES system that works with ERP where it's tying all those things together so that you're being as efficient as you can be mm -hmm. to reduce the cost because at the end of the day, companies want to reduce their costs and maximize their profits. Oh, yeah. And MES Systems is, is, is bound and determined to do that. You know, it helps you do batch production. You know, and that, that's the best part. It's, okay, cool, my line's tooled for this right now. 
you know, why, why change it? If I know it's going to take me 20 minutes, 30 minutes to change my lineup to run something else, but it's not an automated format. For example, if you're doing like uh, plastic injection molding, right? I don't want to have to change my molds. You know, I want to, I want to run, 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 run. So I want to take my MES system and say, cool, I'm going to do say 50 Supermans because I have a Superman mm -hmm. uh, mold in, in the molder right now. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going to run that. But now I know it's going to take you 20 minutes to change that mold. You know, okay, cool. Maybe I have time at a break for you to change that mold up after I run these 50 and then I'm going to run, you know, a hundred dinosaurs mm -hmm. or something like that. You know, it's because, you know, if you talk about like the automotive world and, you know, your, your heavier industrial world, the system does it automatically. Mm. It, it, it shifts and changes based on need and based on order data that comes in from the MES system that tells the PLC and everything underneath it what to build, right. you know, right. tells it what to do. You know, plus it alerts everybody on the screens and tells everybody this build information, mm -hmm. you know, what's being done at that station at that point in time. You know, from there, you start really getting into, you know, the connections to the shop floor. You know, as we branch out, you know, as we de as we peel back the onion of an MES system, you know, you can go TCP IP connection to your shop floor. You can do Modbus TCP mm -hmm. to your shop floor. You can do uh, Siemens protocol, which is still TCP IP, mm -hmm. just in its own configuration, to the shop floor. Mm -hmm. You know, I've heard of other ones. Um, however... Um, most of those are few and far between. Maybe you start talking about like your soft PLCs, I guess you can say, which should still be the same way, but you know, might not be. Um, but so as you're peeling back the onion, you, you kind of hit that communication layer, right. you know? So it's like, because as we go back, it's, you know, it, it, it's shop floor PLC or, sh or, or should say shop floor robotics level. PLC level, interface level, you know, that's interfacing down to your shop floor. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're dealing at a, like a module based, you know, system where you have like a, a, a communication layer that handles like, kind of like a, um, um, how, how to put it, um, it's kind of like a highway, you know, an information highway. So kind of like an MQ, mm -hmm. you know, where things go. You know, I can get quality data that comes in from my robots, and I'm saying that to a quality-based system. However, mm -hmm. I have an open TCP communication port call to my PLC to tell the PLC what to do. Mm -hmm. So, but I know from your side, you guys see it a little differently than I do. Well, I mean, it's, so basically when we're talking about the, the shop floor, you basically got the uh, automation level. Mm -hmm. Then you have the SCADA system. Uh, and uh, the SCADA system is the system that's drawing out all of the I.O. points. The SCADA system can also be used for monitoring. The SCADA system can also be used in conjunction with batch control. Um, so, so really the, the, the ether between mm -hmm. the MES and the, <clears throat> what we would call the shop floor or the industrial control system, it's the SCADA system. Yeah, the ICS level. The, the, the SCADA is what's transferring that data. Right. In a traditional sense. Right. If we If we talk about, you know, Industry 4.0, we're talking a little bit different. You know, we got unified namespaces that you subscribe to whatever topic you're interested yep. in, and you only pull those. In the old system, the, the conventional way of doing it, you, you pulled every signal. 
Yeah. That's not necessary in, uh, say, if you use Unified United States. <laughs> However, the, the thing to remember is there is there is data that unless you have the right technology in place, like using MQTT and uh, using Unified Namespace mm -hmm. and pulling that data out of the controller, right. that data is not seen by the MES system. Right, exactly. Because that data is not being grabbed at a lower level. So you have to have an MQT system in place with brokers and so forth that you can set up unified namespaces that you can subscribe. So when I say subscribe to SCADA system, yeah. you can subscribe to what it needs mm -hmm. and the MES system can subscribe to what is needed. Right. So I do not have to directly connect every system to each other. Mm -hmm. They go to a, a, a uh, like I said, unified namespace, grab yeah. whatever topics they need and then go from there. Uh, but the, the the big thing with like the MES from what I see is like the scheduling, mm -hmm. okay. Then your staff and resource management, your process uh, management, yeah. And then you also got to look at your performance, the big ticket items, yeah. your performance uh, anal uh, an analysis. Say for example, I projected to do fifty of these and I only did forty five. Why? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Why, why, why are we minus five? Kind of like your advanced analytics test. Yeah. yeah, so the, that's that's one of the beauties of having a, a, a good MES system. Yeah. And most people have someone design these systems because it's very difficult to right. build an MES system from scratch. I, I've been lucky enough in my career to be there at the, at the inception level, you know, for one of these systems and, you know, very, you know, happy with that um, to an extent. Um, but you know, it, it's, it, it's funny that, you know, most of your, your MES system is a very simple beast. You know, it's really not, you have a, you have your, your, um, uh, your DT, which is your, your, your delivery tier or mm -hmm. your front end of your, your, your database or your, your front end of your, um, uh, system, a communication layer. And then we start breaking it down into your back end layers. Mm -hmm. You know, like, for example, if you wanted to use a module-based system or use a Docker-Compose-based system where, like, your PLC communication can be in one Docker, your all your other stuff be in another Docker, and they all communicate to each other. You know, some of that can be done through JBoss, for example. You know, if you're going through the ESB or the EAP sets, the systems, and then all of that pipes to your, pulls data from your database and then pushes that through your delivery tier out to the human. And then, you know, behind that is your MEQ, your MQ layer. You know, you know most, mm. like, most of them have MQs. Um, and we start, that's where we take in data from sister systems. Mm. You know, like SAP, for example. Or we send system stuff to SAP via the MQ level. Yeah. You know, um, for example, if you're doing like scheduling or something like that. For example, at that point, I know that I can send from my MES system through my MQ to SAP to tell SAP that, hey, guess what? I need parts this day mm -hmm. or I need this this day or, you know, hey, I need, you know, this many gloves this day if I'm providing gloves yeah, to my sumables. employees the day of. Yeah, you can, you, know. you can take what you did in the previous weeks and determine what consumables will be needed at that point. And right. And also lets in, like, the connections to your your heavy hit systems. So like your advanced analytic systems mm -hmm. and stuff like that that you're dealing with. You know, it's also the direct pipeline from your MES system to a, to an advanced analytics standpoint. But with that, it also talk, it also runs into the risk of 
do you have people who understand this stuff? And you know, that's that that's that, right. that's the headache. Because the thing is, is you know, we say you know in, um, um, you know, pretty much in IT, it's you know, hitting keyboards. You know, eventually we'll get something right. Um, so you know, where we we like to talk like well, you and me like joke around push button maintenance. You know, the only problem is with an MES system, you can't do push button maintenance anymore because you are the master control system. If you if you mess something up at the master control level, it's going to slowly but surely find its way to the shop floor. Mm-hmm. You know, and then for some strange reason, you know, Porsche is building a scooter. You know, it just it doesn't work that way. Um, you know, you can have a whole big oops. Yeah. You know, I can I can start you know building you know a thousand purple vehicles. Mm. Last time I checked, no one wants to buy a thousand purple vehicles. Yeah, you know it's not not the highest <laughs> requested color out there. Well, that's that's why I say the systems are hard to develop because it's not the technology of connecting them, but each one of those protocols have a different way of communicating. Yeah, a lot uh, of Linux. The, the 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 other part of that is is that um, on the shop floor, I'm not concerned from a from a technology point of view. I'm not concerned with how many widgets I made. Right. I'm exactly. only concerned with, am I within the parameters that I set up for this equipment? Am I putting out so many jobs per hour? And uh, do I have any uh, conditions mm-hmm. from the condition monitor that said, hey, we're at a point where we're going to fail? Yeah, or part makes you have parts. Yeah, you know. Well, at, at that part for the machine, it, yeah, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't care. Yeah, like the shop floor doesn't care far as equipment. Right, equipment-wise, doesn't care. It doesn't it, care. The, human human, the humans in the production system should protect for that. Yeah. Uh, and then you should have a mitigation strategy in place if something fails. Yep, line-side that, that, parts that, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, you know, just like every places have cold and warm sites and hot yeah. sites. You have to have that type of uh, countermeasure or mitigation strategy or something in mm-hmm. place. Hey, the system's down. Yeah. Well, get the paper. It's, that's, it's, that's get the paper and walk the floor. Right. You know? and, and it's like, you know, the big thing is, is to also remember that, you know, when developing one of these systems, you can't out-develop the human being. Okay? You can try to. You cannot out the the, the the human beings and the users on the operational level will surprise you every single day. They will do something with that system you've never seen before. They will find a use case that was never thought of. Right. Exactly. And believe me, they do it daily. Um, and boy, do they let you know about it. Um, but you know the thing is, if you're implementing, if you're going to implement an MES system into your own in your own plant, or location, or office space, or whatever, because if you think about it, you can take an MES system and tune it for Publix if you really wanted to. Mm-hmm. You know, ERP is a is an MES system technically. Mm-hmm. SAP is technically an MES system at certain points. Um, you know, a logistics warehouse. You know, a logistics management system or LMS. Mm-hmm. You know, that is an MES system. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, then you start getting into, like, automotive manufacturing. Of course, you have an MES system on board. Mm-hmm. That's what's telling you what to do. Same thing with injection molding. However, I was thinking about this the other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, know, you know the company Blackboard, correct? Mm-hmm. Blackboard is considered an MES. It could be considered in certain, in certain processes an MES system for schools. Because I'm pumping out all of my material for you to consume. You consume that. You take a test on it. The test is a result of the, the process, mm-hmm. technically. Mm-hmm. That's an MES system. And the smallest way of thinking about it, Blackboard, 
is considered an MES system. Mm-hmm. So technically, people use MES systems every day. They just don't know it. Yeah. Or it's, it's, or it's called something else. But, and then the other thing to think about also is it's a documentation management system. Oh, yeah, too. definitely. I mean, it's, there are things where you can have single point lessons in place. There's things where you can have, you know, hey, this, these are the uh, recommended parts or spare parts that we use. So mm-hmm. that's, that's another thing to look at. Um, but some of the benefits, I would say, manufacturing cycle time. Yes, yes, that is one. Definitely. You, I agree you, with that. you can take and tune your plant to a point to where it can run at about 85%. Yeah, run like a sewing machine. You know, and, and what that means for you is, is you're getting it as efficient as you can. And even if you have a failure in your system, because it's running so efficiently, you won't notice it. You're not losing hours, days, yeah. or weeks. You're not losing volume. You built you've built it in to say if I have a failure, this failure as long as it stays within the time frame because mm-hmm. we're efficient. We're efficient at recovery. Yep. We're efficient at doing some countermeasures or mitigation strategies in place. Maybe we can do some semi-automatic stuff to keep the plant running some, somewhat until we repair whatever's the fault. Yep. So those are some things that you can take from the MES, MES system to make your make your plant more robust. Yeah, and document, document, document. Mm-hmm. You know, for the love of God, please document. Because the problem is, is what we notice on occasion, is that people build these MES systems, they don't write anything down. You know, or they write too much. And then they lose the documentation because no one wants to read it. You know, it, it make it usable. For your user, please. You know, it's I couldn't tell you how many times I've seen it where it's like, oh look, we documented all of this. I ain't reading that. I'm not gonna read something that's 40 pages long to get the gist of okay, don't hit that button. Okay. Yeah. You know, the thing is, it's it's like QRGs, quick reference guides mm-hmm. for every piece of your puzzle. You know, okay, cool. You have a logistics department. Here's a QRG of how to do logistics based on our system. Mm-hmm. Here's a QRG how to do production from our from our standpoint, but what you're looking at are maintenance. You know, giving them that documentation standpoint, which that's another thing. Okay, like you said, give them a place to do documentation. SharePoint is not an MES system for the love of God. Stop stop calling it that. Um, <laughs> it's a documentation system. However, um, MES systems should have that functionality built in. Mm-hmm. I've I have yet to see one that has some sort of documentation system built into the darn thing. That allows for pull down of single point lessons in case of major failures. If you think about it, I should be able to open up the MES system, either an app, tablet based, computer based, and open up a single point lesson that tells me how to replace a lens of drive. That should be there. It should all be kind of compact. Whereas I don't have to go looking a thousand different locations to figure out how to replace something. Mm-hmm. I can just pull this up based on permissions. So always have an SSO installed. And based on permissions, let me go see that. Yeah. Well, the, the, one of the things, you, you can re- reduce or eliminate data entry time. You can reduce work in process, and you can also reduce or eliminate paperwork between shifts. If the MES system and the systems that are connected to it were incorporated correctly. Yes. If That's everything has back channels or channels yeah. where that data can be extracted and analyzed, then those yeah. things can happen. But and if don't don't think you're gonna put an MES system in 
and all of the things we just mentioned is going to happen magically. Yeah, it's like telegram based. You take that telegram base coming from like a Siemens PLC and you convert it to a usable string. The usable string can be the me insert into your database as a timestamp. You know, okay, cool. I was at this station at this time. You know, don't be running a vehicle down a vehicle or part or whatever the hell you want to do down your line. And next, you know, it's like, oh, I didn't know that hit that spot, but because I don't have a way to decipher, you know, um, uh, data to a you know usable standpoint. It's also make sure that you know when you're building these systems, shift calendars. Have a shift calendar set up, you know, inside your MES system, and you can do that. That will explain what my shift times are, what my break times are. Have that control your equipment. And then also have in there, what is your shift target for the day? Did you meet that target or did you not meet that target? And the thing is, is you can take that target and if you really wanted to have it watch, that will watcher can watch the timestamp and the location that you're trying to monitor for your release numbers. And it'll spit back that number every time something crossed that line. It'll always add one. I've never seen it, seen it, you know, um, uh, uh, remove one. Mm-hmm. If it does, you did it backwards. Um, and then, you know, from there, you can keep your, you're going to keep up your count based in your, based in your, um, uh, um, your calendar. So you can always go back and look at your calendar. Did I make mm-hmm. the target today? You know, and what shift did I not make the target? First, second, third, fourth, whatever. You know, if you're running five hour shifts, then right. you know, God forbid, your data entry systems. Um, <laughs> well, they ain't, gonna, they ain't gonna be very happy. It, here's another thing uh, that maybe people don't think about: it, it, it lost paperwork. You can oh, eliminate God. lost paperwork because I'm documenting the process the whole time. Yep. No one is writing down or putting on. Whiteboards are great in offices. Yeah. Whiteboards are not meant for the shop floor. Yeah. Stop carrying those damn things around like they're you know, a tablet. You you can have those. It's fine for when you want to. Do um, brainstorming, but that is not the tool that you need for mm-hmm. when you have a downtime that uh, you don't quite understand why it happened. Right. One other thing to think about with the MES system, it can also empower your plant operations people. Yeah. The, the, basically, the experts on the line. Yeah. The, the people that are using the equipment, interacting with the equipment, hear the equipment every day, see the equipment every day, that's your expert. Right, exactly. That that person understand how efficient or inefficient your process or the equipment you put in to do the process is at that moment. Right, and I couldn't agree with more. Because, you know, the thing is, is, you know, the big ticket item between MES systems is making it paperless. You know, making it paperless for the love of God. Um, so... You know, make sure you you work paper out of your systems. You know, be that quality based systems or anything like that. Work paper out of your system, because the thing is, is a lost piece of paper is a lost explanation. It's also a lost target, because if you know if you're sitting there at the end of the at the end of the shift, you know, using your little whiteboard, which I cannot stand whiteboards on production lines. Um, you know, doing a check mark every time a vehicle exits or something exits the line. And- and, and somebody walks by and wipes it off, guess what? Now you don't know what you're doing anymore. And it's counterintuitive. It's right. counterintuitive for, for humans. Hum, humans do not work that way. Right. Maybe, and, maybe when you were in kindergarten, yep. learning addition, but not in a highly productive plant. Everybody get a smiley face. You know, it's like, you know, the thing is, it's also, you know, you don't have to hook, and don't hook your MES system up to HR. 
please don't do that. Um, if you do, you can use that for your shift calendars. That'll tell you who's on shift at that time. That's just an option. Uh, just an option. However, you know the big thing is, and this is why I, you know, I kind of have a, a really, 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 really deep hatred for whiteboards on production lines. You know, they end up with or those Rolodex paper roll things that people use that the sticky tab on the back of it. Yeah. You know, it's the the paper whiteboards now they call them. Yeah, I don't know. So now I'm trying to I'm trying to engineer paper out of your system, but you're bringing more paper into it to write down a downtime that happens every every, every couple hours. Y'all, do you know what a text message is? Um, or I don't know Teams, or email. Because you're you need a document that's someplace. Because the thing is, if you lose that paperwork, or somebody goes there and wipes your whiteboard off, like I have the urge to do on occasion when I see them sitting there, you're not gonna know what your downtime is. You're not gonna know how you fixed it. You know, I, I I've never heard a maintenance guy go, "Hey, I don't know what the downtime was. Let me go look at my whiteboard real quick." You know, and they're touring out looking for you know for something. We have that problem. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> that's why I, I, I have a deep hatred I, for. It. I think it's a tool that people use to for comfortability, probably. Y- yes, but I think when we have, um, when when you're trying to make a concept in mm-hmm. somebody, make it concrete to somebody, that makes sense. It's easy to write it. Yes. On a board. That makes it's, sense. It's easy to do models and show flows yeah. and stuff on a board. Yeah. But that's where it its limitations start and stop. Right. It's fine to bring it to the line to document the, what was going on in, you know, in conjunction with, with the alarm logs and your MES system and your SCADA yep. systems. And if you're using Industry 4.0, and you have a unified namespace, and you have a historian, and all these type of things in place. And yes, it's good for that. But to have it there to say, "Hey, I did twenty of these," that's really yeah. it's inefficient and it's kindergarten. Uh, but and, and don't put your now. The thing is, I'll say this to piggyback on that: do not put your explanation. If you're gonna write down what happened that day, kind of like in conjunction with your MES and your SCADA, don't put down the reason why the downtime happened on the whiteboard. Because you're just going to wipe it off next shift and without updating your, your, your alarm tracking system to say why the line stopped. Yeah. Because, you know, once you do that, there's no way for anybody to go back and backtrack it. You know, kind of see what happened. There's no way to actually put it something in the system that says, okay, cool. We had this downtime three times, but I fixed it. Yeah. Well, and then the other thing is, is the other thing to consider is that you can also use the system for improving planning process. Yeah. So what do I mean by improving planning process? If I had a plant that ran for 20 years, it's the same thing that the uh, petroleum industry do with down the whole data. I can take all this, what I call production line data, mm-hmm. and that can tell me what was efficient and what was not efficient. And that could probably also lead me the next time to say, hey, this concept wasn't quite the right thing. It didn't give us the, enough flexibility. Mm-hmm. And you, you can project that out five or six years before the next plant is ready to be uh, constructed. That also helps with, like, you know, if you think about it, with equipment selection. You know, if I want to go, you know, Siemens PLCs and ABB robots, I can see every single plant I've got that runs Siemens PLCs and ABB robots. And I can see what happened. You know, was it, was it you know, efficient? Or does the Siemens and KUKA robot 
and Bosch controllers and all this other stuff, you know, work better? Or are we going to, like, Rockwell PLCs and the different robot manufacturers? Or are we going to, like, what they use in Europe, and you start talking about um, um, using, uh, not Rockwell, um, I just had it off the top of my head. Um, so basically you, you have Rockwell, Siemens. Uh, they kind of uh, went defunct after a while. Um, you also use... Because uh, we have them at the plant right now, or we did before we removed it. Um, but, you know, you have... I'll probably... Oh, that but... Schneider Electric. That's it. Or you have Schneider PLCs, and yeah. you have, you know, Kuka robots, ABB robots, and whatnot. However, those are becoming more and more defunct as you kind of go across the pane here. Most of the time, you're dealing with Rockwell or Siemens or a combination thereof. You know, unless you're in some older locations, which they do like using their their Schneider Electric uh, PLCs in some areas. Um, well, or, hell, Schneider Electric is still around. Yeah. It's just we don't really see too many of them anymore. So that that's probably more of a product that's being used, utilized now in building automation. Yeah, building automation, yeah. like a BMS. Yeah. Which you can, but the thing is, you can take that BMS and hook it up to your MES system if you really wanted to. Yeah. Because the thing is, you can hook that up to your calendar when to turn the lights on. Yeah. But th those those systems Air there systems. Are, are more you know like being used for that type of thing. Yeah. Uh, so Snyder does still have you know like a uh, a good footprint, but like mm -hmm. I say, it's mostly I would say it's. Uh, building controls and maybe smaller machines yeah. and things of that nature. Uh, not to say that somewhere else someone's not using it, but like I said, normally it's going to be Rockwell or Siemens going to be the two big players. Yeah, and the thing is, is you know, even if you hooked up you know, a system like that to your, your you know, MES, your calendars can tell you when to turn the lights on, when to turn the HVAC on, you know, when to set all that stuff up and mm -hmm. let it run. And also it'll track your, it'll help track your um, uh, consumption. Your power consumption because you know you ran the line for this long, for this fast, for this hot. I ran the AC at this temperature for this long, you know, and I can do mm -hmm. basic math off of what my cost is. You know, it's, you know, that's another way of doing it. I mean, other than raw goods and labor, I mean, really the big hitter is the environmental things that you use in the plant. Right. So, you know, HVAC, electricity, gas, yep. those things are... Uh, not, air and water are not cheap yeah right. air and water so yeah and you know the thing is it's like in the MES system can help you track all that it can it can take all that to, to, to say SAP so SAP will have the updated you know numbers and stuff like that but you know the MES system itself as a whole package is one that if you're going to develop your own or your new or a new one as a package is talk to your local experts talk to the people that work on your floor every day um, talk to your guys in logistics, talk to your guys in maintenance, talk to your guys in operations and kind of see, okay, what works for you? What do you need? What do you use on these old systems that now you need to use on new systems? And, you know, the thing is, is this goes back to what we were just talking about, being able to take things from different plants or locations and see what worked. Now you can do the same thing with technology. Okay, cool. We're using, we're doing this process at this location. We're doing this process at this location. We're doing this process at this location, you know, and see if it works. However, I will say this: stop doing that. You know, stop trying to find a master system. 
Okay. Because, and the reason I say that is not, the system does not always work the same way in all locations. If your equipment on the floor is the same, at least you know that um, um, variable has been excused of the process. The rest of it is, okay, how does this location do sequencing? How does this location do order fulfillment and order generation? Um, you know, kind of like that. Mm. You know, don't try to make one master system where everybody's do it the same way. Because I'm going to tell you right now that won't work. I, I, I haven't seen it work yet. Um, if it does work for you, you know, please tell us. I want to know how that goes. Um, and it has to be more than one location. Right. Um, so, but, you know, MES systems is also up to the support staff that's sitting there, you know, supporting it. Mm -hmm. Because they're the ones who have to understand how to fix these Linux-based systems, how to what, how to troubleshoot those type of systems using the logging software. You know, we haven't really even touched on logging yet. And for an MES system, logs are great. I mean, you know, Kibana is another one of those systems, Logstash, that can take all of these, all these logs generated by your system and actually throw them into one location so you can actually track what that system does on a daily basis. And, you know, from there, you can easily see, okay, cool, I'm going to have a failure in this part of my system because it's complaining about this one thing. Mm -hmm. um, and you can break that on all the way to your SSO. You know, so you can be having your SSO logs going into your um, uh, your Kibana instance. So you can kind of see kind of what's right. going on. You know, that and always run like a Nagios-based system on top of it. Because with that, you can watch what your servers are doing. Mm -hmm. Because unless you're a very small location, your, ser your, your, your environment will be more than one server. It'll be two or three servers big, right? Mm -hmm. Smaller smaller plants, smaller locations can probably do off of one server, you know? Um, and it'll kind of tell you kind of what your database layer is doing and stuff like that. Everything's built into each other. But, you know, having everything right there, being able to see everything, document everything, kind of set up a control room, mm -hmm. you know, the grand scheme of things. So, you know, and then you start looking at... Um, you know, like the SSO layer, right? And permissions and controls. Mm -hmm. Every single group inside the inside your, the, the facility should be in a different group. So logistics in one group, IT in one group, mm -hmm. maintenance in one group, and those roles are defined by somebody that works as a, as an expert in their field, right? Because they know what they need. That they know exactly what they need. I mean, they're the customer, so the right. cust the customer knows uh, what's required um, most of the time. Uh, well, what's required from <laughs> for what they're trying to do, right? So when it comes to their circle, um, I, I, I think, and we can probably try to wrap it up a little bit. I think the big thing with the MES systems is like the things we're talking about—the benefit mm -hmm. things. I don't have to go and it's it's nice to go try to graph the guy that's been there twenty years and get what's in his head out. But if I've been tracking that data over 20 years correctly yep. and interface my systems correctly, then I would just be, from him, I would get a confirmation that the data reflects what he what he saw. Right, exactly. It would be more of a check mm -hmm. with that person as opposed to trying to do an interrogation or trying to do an interview or, or 
not an interrogation, but trying to do an interview and draw that information right. out. And, you know, the thing is, it also goes back to the fact that if you're going to build an MES system, please have a, a, a production integration and test environment. And so, you know, as you bring new equipment into the, into the location, you can test it, you know, or test new updates and stuff like that. Make sure it doesn't break anything. And then, you know, once you get your integration, you start moving up your releases. You know, once you get there, so you have a little bit more equipment in your integration environment to, to, to make sure that things are working how they should. You know, utilize your UAT type of systems. Utilize that type of stuff. And then move into your production environment, which actually runs your floor. Please do not do any production-related work inside your integration or your test environment. Because if those systems go down, they're uncontrolled. So if you lose a, if you lose a test or integration environment... No, you know, no one's really going to bat an eye or notice quickly. Mm-hmm. So don't hook up a, you know, a production cell or zone or whatever, whatever you're doing, press, whatever, to your integration environment or your, you know, produ- uh, test environment mm-hmm. and use it to produce production relevant material. Now, if you have some of that set aside and you have your own little test area, your own test PLC, robot, press, whatever your own mine building for some people um hook it up to your integration environment and then use that to make sure that your actual system will work for the next time you do a release yeah i mean so from supply chain to you know final product off the shop floor that's that's basically what the mes is uh great at yeah and you know that kind of leads us to the fact that you know we are you know in the process of writing a uh, an ebook, um, you know, kind of titled for um, kind of t- kind of t- the it is going to be titled, you know, MES Systems Explained, where we will explain everything from the design standpoint down to the maintenance standpoint of a MES system, and a few little odds and ends in between that might make a little bit more sense. A couple of total diagrams, a couple of things, mm-hmm. you know, stuff that that we're kind of passionate about. So you know, with that. You know, I think that uh, kind of brings us to the end of for the day. And, you know, I just want to say thank you. You know, I was looking at the, the numbers earlier. You know, we're at 1183. You know, who, who would have thunk of that one? We were just hoping the other day to get over 1,000. You know, we, we were pushing that magical number to get over 1,000. So, you know, y'all, we really do appreciate it. Go check us out on, you know, a couple of the other social platforms. Uh, go take a look at, uh, you know, blog.vulcanara.com. Uh, go take a look at the uh, the main, the YouTube channel, um, Volcanar Technology Solutions. You know, go look at, go check us out over there. You know, and subscribe to that um, uh, the uh, YouTube channel. It'll be in the description of the um, uh, um, of the of the podcast um, and on the show notes. So uh, y'all go check that out, and then hopefully we'll see you over there. And give us a few ideas for some video stuff that you got going. You know, some stuff that you that you want to know about. So, you know, um, I'm going to turn it over to Ed for the uh, closing uh, for the closing and the challenge of the week. So, yeah. y'all have a good one. So, guys, uh, we appreciate all of the uh, support. We appreciate the uh, the uh, goals we've made. Uh, we'd like to, uh, you know, get more and more people involved. We'd like to build our community. We would like to have a, a, a community where we could have technology-based discussions and um Maybe even come up with uh, new ways of looking at technologies that no one else did or has. Um, and, I, and I would say this week, uh, the challenge is um, 
which area is going to show the most support? So which area are we going to get the greatest amount of uh, uh, hits this week? That's yeah. the challenge. Represent your area. Make your area the best um, representation for hits this week on this podcast. Yeah, share it with your friends and uh, let's see uh, let's see what what happens. Let's see who let's see who wins. And, you know, we'll kind of go from there. You know, who knows? Well, who knows what's going to happen with that? But uh all right, y'all. You have a good one. That could be not too bad. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Tech at Lunch podcast, where we hope you learned something about tech during your break or during your lunchtime. If you did, please give us a follow to prevent missing future episodes. If you have any ideas or something you want to hear or learn about, please send us a show idea to podcast at vulcanora.com. Hope you have a good rest of the day and continue learning.